0: We are talking about a comic book, which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first.
1: Well spunked. Have you not been hearing me?
0: Oh man, the goon!
1: Welcome. To the Trade Secrets Podcast. Sorry the neurons aren't firing today. Yes,
0: it is. Exactly. Exactly. Cleanse the palette with zombies.
1: Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. Did I just have a stroke? That's a valuable misprint, sir. And now, your hosts, Luke Matthews. So the only people that will survive a radioactive apocalypse are apparently from the Appalachians. And Anne Bean.
0: Thank you for plugging um that sounded incredibly dirty
1: awesome you ready to go yep let's get this going welcome everybody to episode seven of the trade secrets podcast i am your host luke matthews and i am joined today by ann bean hello and that's it. Uh the other two are out of town, so we are we are having more of a more of a chat than a than a podcast really. We um, bit of a natter. A little bit of a chit-chat going on today. So, um episodes Seven, we are going to be talking about Sandman, Season of the Mists. Season of Mists. I got geek corrected by Andy over email about the fact that it was Season of Mists, not Season of the Mists. I don't so, like
0: Sandman, but it, I will geek <laughs> correct you about the title of the fourth trade paperback.
1: Yeah. So, um, but you know, that's what happens with Andy. You know, it's we, true. The, he has read everything. That's the way it was all through episode six, where we went back and forth about kick ass just right. the whole goddamn time. So, <laughs> Um, my brain is so fried right now. Like it's Friday and I am, I'm, you're fried. I'm you're fucking Friday, toast. Friday. Uh-huh. Yeah. God, why did I not see that coming? That's so. what she said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh God. And we're at the lowest common denominator. <laughs>
1: You know, I thought I thought getting rid of Andy and and Joel would uh, raise the bar a little bit, but apparently nope. not. Apparently not when we're both uh, fried out of our brains. Uh. So, so um, I guess we'll start the show like we always do and talk about what we're reading. So, Are you reading, Luke. What am I reading? I just finished Why the Last Man. I'm going to say the same thing that Andy has said a couple of times. I'm going to try not to spoil it for you because I know you Andy. haven't read it. But uh, the first 80 to 85% of the book is excellent. It's very well written. The storyline moves along at a nice pace. And the last 15% or so, the whole fucking thing just implodes on itself. That's sad. Um, and I was, I was very... I was actually... Um, hopefully not tainting your experience when you want to go read it, but I was actually kind of disappointed in the ending. Mm. Uh, or so, I don't know. It's just, uh, I felt like he couldn't quite figure, he he set up a bunch of stuff that he couldn't quite figure out how to close, yeah. you know? And then, so it just kind of fell apart. Um, I've started reading... To get off that subject, so that we don't spoil anything for you, uh, I've you started rereading, uh, or started reading a new comic called the Zombie with an X by DC. Um, apparently it was it was originally it originally came out under the Milestone uh, imprint of DC back in like '94, huh. and it was a it's kind of a preposterous. No, it's really preposterous. Like <laughs> it's a little story. Kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of preposterous. <laughs> yeah. So it follows a guy. Um, named David, I can't remember his last name now. Who had injected himself with with nanites that took over all of his cells, like um, them. and he was developing these nanites as a as a to be repair mechanisms, basically, right for healing mm-hmm. and. What ended up happening was he ended up getting like severely injured in the original series back in the '90s, the way that it starts out is that he gets uh, almost killed and gets injected with these nanites, and they start rebuilding his body from you know raw materials around him, so what he can like touch something and it will start pulling the raw materials from whatever he's touching and breaking it down into its base components and then using that to rebuild his cells and rebuild parts of his body interesting um, that's only when he's <laughs> injured uh yeah whenever he's injured he can oh, okay. he can touch stuff if if he's perfectly fine um he's
0: making sure he doesn't turn into polyester if he was polyester.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly so the way that it works is that the nanites are programmed to understand when he is like built they when they rebuilt him the first time they rebuilt him to peak physical condition mm-hmm. and they understand where that baseline is so they rebuild him to that point and then that's where they try and maintain that's right Convenient. But the first time that it happened, like he he was dying, and he got in, and the person that injected him was a, a woman that was like his um, kind of pseudo girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And after he she injected him with the nanites, uh, it he woke up all healed, but then found out that the nanites had used her for the raw materials, Ooh. and so she was like you know half destroyed, and she was clearly dead. Um, gross. Sk- skip forward. 15 years to the new comic book and it just kind of picks up. It is, it is so absurd that it's awesome. The guy that writes it, John Rosam, uh, his dialogue is spectacular. Um, is really funny, like legitimately funny book. And, uh, it's got characters like he, he, he works with a this kind of weird sect of the church that all the it's, he works with a bunch of nuns that have various superpowers. Awesome. Um, like
0: you want to never have sex again at least you get superpowers <laughs> right
1: so there's the the smallest of which is catholic girl who's a she's like this catholic school kind of looking girl <laughs> who has who has these like guilt all kinds of random religion based divine powers oh. f- you know divine fire she can oh. you know bright okay. bright lights and destroy people and uh, there's a nun there's um, all the nuns have very punny names like there's one of them who has the ability to shrink herself to almost any small size and her name is Less. Uh, yeah. and uh one other who i'm trying to remember what her power is i don't remember what it is but it's her her name's none of the above and so okay. yeah she it's fly it's stuff like that and <laughs> It, you know there's a guy in the book who has um he has like a pocket full of coins that talk to him because they've he's got an entire set of coins that have been Imbu- each coin is imbued with the spirit of of some of a dead person oh, sure, yeah. and they talk to each other <laughs> so he he'll dump coins on other people as listening devices and oh, then nice. the coins will talk back to him and tell him so it's, it's weird shit like that but yeah, the book is book is totally goofball and it's awesome it's probably like I don't like DCU stuff in generally in general and that's probably why I like this cuz it's not part of the core DCU right. um but it's a really it's a really fun book, and I'm uh, I highly recommend it. That's cool. Aside from that, because of Andy's recommendation, I, I read the first two trades of Fear Agent. It's Rick Remender. It's a sci-fi book, and the way the way that they described it, uh, that Andy or that Joel sub- described it, was um, the monsters of aliens in the world of. Mars Attacks. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, I remember. Right,
1: it's like very fifties. Got a got that. a very fifties vibe with its sci fi stuff, but lore. it's yeah, yeah. It's it's good. It's I was I was pleasantly surprised. Nice. That the art's good. The writing is again. It's legitimately funny in a lot of places. It's it's a lot more a lot more serious than you would expect. But it's. Um, do you know um, who writes or draws it? Uh, it's written by Rick Remender. Oh yeah, you just said Remender. Um, who's he does? Um, what else does he do? He does he's right now? He's doing Uncanny X Force. He does. Um, stuff he does other books stuff. He writes that have things words. in them yes okay um oh he did last days of american crime i was i was That's wondering right. if that was him i knew he did something that we reviewed on this show and i couldn't remember what it was but it's good i i would i would recommend it i've heard that, that there's rumors that they're going to do a hardcover collection because it, oh. it there's five trades right now and it doesn't look like he's going to go back to it anytime soon um, because he's working he's like slammed by Marvel to do stuff so but yeah that's what I that's what I've read recently I've mixed in some other stuff Uh, I bought a a set of comics called Midnight Mass from the uh, same guy that writes Zombie and it was Mm -hmm. on on the suggestion of somebody from my comic shop and it's a um, I haven't actually started reading it yet, but it's uh, it's set in in a town in Massachusetts called Midnight, which is oh, why it's okay. called Midnight Mass. And it's it's about two people who are uh, monster hunters, but they're also due to their monster hunting, they are like the two most famous people on the planet. Huh. Um, so they're they're like rock star monster hunter kind of things. <laughs> Makes um, me think so. of
0: Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the <laughs> <eight> Dimension, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Physicist rock star. <laughs> also, the games that my like five-year-olds play yeah please dinosaurs <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so yeah um that's what i'm reading what are you reading
0: um so andy gave me a huge huge stack of comics over the past few weeks i've been reading uh fables i read two through ten of the trade paperbacks that's right i remember
1: you borrowing two and three from me
0: yeah and i was very pleased with that yeah. whole run i thought it was really well done i Know that there's a bunch of stuff after what I've read, I'm not sure what. And I Andy told me to stop at ten. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think for good reason, because like that's the, the major story arc is done. And I can see like eighty thousand little loose ends hanging out. Yeah. And I feel like they could either go good places with that or not. But that's th- close to where I am. The main book. story is done. I really like the conclusion of the, Was main the main story.
1: Was the main story that's with the adversary and yeah. Geppetto? Yeah. Yeah because i'm 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 trying to remember where i am i have not finished it i think i'm on trade 7 trade 7 or 8 it was um mm-hmm. it was like i don't know it all kinds of blends together now because it's been a while since i've sure. read it i remember the last one of the last things i read was still when uh was um a lot of stuff dealing with the ch- with uh bigby's children mm-hmm. bigby's the like the and The Cubs, and specifically dealing with Zephyr, the Mm -hmm. the, like the one that was killing people and didn't really know what he was doing. You know, I think,
0: you know, he's made of wind. Yeah.
1: So, yeah,
0: he's one of the loose ends that I'm. Eventually, I have a feeling I'm going to read the stuff that's after ten. It's still,
1: you know, it's still written by Bill Willingham, and I don't. Regardless of what impetus there was behind him continuing the series, um. I still have faith in his writing. You know, sure. it might not live up to the arc, the previous arc, but
0: and that's fair, honestly. Yeah, it was a good arc. It would be hard to hard to match. Um, and I feel like there's with a lot of these big, longs like Sandman or Lucifer or mm-hmm. Fables, these big long things. There's there's a room for sort of the fan fan stories at the end. Not really, but like the. Like, there's a whole bunch of sure. side trades for Sandman that are just sort of fangirl stories, and fanboy stories. And the same deal with, I don't know, I feel like anything after this, I'd be like, unless they started a new, really significant plot arc, I'd be like, and this is because I want to know what the deal was with Zephyr right? in
1: the end. Well, and maybe that's, I mean you got to figure that at some point when willingham came up with all of this stuff he had the idea of in his mind he probably said ooh it's a world where all the you know the fairy tale characters got pushed out of their fairy tales and into the real world because of some giant adversary that was trying to take over all their kingdoms mm-hmm. and then just kind of flushed that out and once right, right, that right. was done he was like Ooh. oh now I've got this awesome world and all these characters and I get to play around in right. it right
0: right that's what I would do as a writer yeah honestly.
1: and and that's kind of what that's kind of what I feel like maybe he's just maybe right now he's just playing around in it for a while and uh he'll maybe he'll think of a bigger longer arc at some point but for the time being just let him fuck around in his own world for yeah. a while you know He's yeah. making money off of it, and it's, that's kind of the dream, right?
0: Right? <laughs> you know? Seriously. Aside from that, I read the first trade of Scalped, and I'm part of the way through the second trade. Overall, I I was pleased with it. It's very very dark and noir, and it's sort of a similar flavor to Last Days of American Crime in mm-hmm. terms of the, the noir flavor. But um, as I said to you earlier, I think it's like a, a uniquely American story, not only because it... it uh, highlights Native American characters, but because of the sort of very gritty anti-hero film noir okay. aspects of it, it's basically the the prodigal son returns to town. Um, okay. But he's secretly an FBI agent and also still a total asshole. Okay. <laughs> and town is a uh, Lakota Sioux, I believe, reservation, okay. with a you know casino and a dark underbelly and all that good stuff.
1: I mean, it sounded cool from what Andy was talking about he said he mentioned that the art was like maybe not for everybody, but I, what do you think? I was about fine it? with it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it wasn't as jumbled to me as the Last Days of American Crime. Good. It wasn't. I think it served the the sort of the gritty feel of the story pretty well. Uh, I did have the the. Bad Horse song from Dr. Horrible's sing-along vlog in my head the whole time because the guy's name is Dash, is Bad, Dash Bad, Horse. Old Bad Horse.
1: Yeah, That's awesome. I need to watch that again.
0: Sure, brilliance. There's going to be a uh, Joss Whedon based burlesque show at some point in Seattle.
1: Really? <laughs> yes. It's I've funny. always been surprised that somebody didn't actually make a stage show out of Once More With Feeling. Yeah, like,
0: well they made a stage show out of Dr. Horrible.
1: That doesn't surprise me too much. I just uh, once more with feeling is one of those things. It's like it's already there, right? It's already Come written. On. It's like mostly choreographed, right? you know. Just do it.
0: <laughs> you can't do the dusting effects quite the same way, but who cares?
1: I start, I remember when, um, uh, when that just about a year after that one came out, maybe a year and a half, we went to Gen Con, and uh, my wife was actually part of a very very hackneyed slap together like crappy stage production of the show right Excellent. which was which was end ended up it was really kind of strange because they, they didn't have background music so somebody they knew like took the sound the original soundtrack for it and like messed with the audio to remove the voices and it didn't sound quite right yeah, and it was like yeah it was it was a little janky but uh, it was it was fun to watch she played uh, she played Willow in it and cool. it was it was pretty fun yeah, it was it was it was fun to watch because yeah. it was so like terrible to be entirely honest, but
0: in a beautiful way. Yeah,
1: in a very beautiful way. And it was it was mostly populated by Watsy employees at the time, so like sweet um, for anybody who's geeky enough to know who this guy is. Uh, sweet was played by a guy named Sean Reynolds, who's that's a you have to I'm be a, you have to be an RPG case. you have to be an RPG geek. He he works for Paizo Publishing now and okay. works on Pathfinder, and yeah, he's worked for Watsy for a long time, so. But yeah, so Scalped was was decent.
0: Scalped was decent. I and, uh, plan I to, to continue continue reading it.
1: The major comic book news in the world right now. I, I'm I'm a little disappointed that Andy and and Joel aren't around to bullshit about this. Right. But uh, everyone's talking about the fact that the that DC has announced that they are rebooting their entire universe. Um, like you do. They're culling down to 52 titles, which they've they've announced. As far as I know, they've they've now. Uh, as of today, all of the titles that are coming out in that fifty-two are um, have been announced. I don't know. I mean, all the big ones are there, uh, but um, yeah, Can I don't know. Can they
0: do anything coherent with Hawk Girl, okay. please?
1: <laughs> well, apparently, one of the comics that they're focusing on is is the Red Hood, and I don't okay. know if you if you've know much about it. Red Not Hood much. is the Robin that got killed, okay. uh, and he, you know, as comic book characters do, he came back from the dead and and like became like the Red Hood. Uh, but there's a lot of you know there's a lot of people, um, specifically some guys that I that I work with who are who are concerned with how they're going to portray the Red Hood in a new um, uh, in this new environment because uh-huh. so much of the character and so much of what makes him interesting in his own book is the history yeah. that that. Brought him to that point, so will they go through any of that history in his in his
0: title, or will they yeah,
1: what will they do well i my opinion on the whole thing is that it shouldn't matter right because there are plenty of there are plenty of superhero books, there are plenty of comic books in general that you know they introduce a new character and you find out about them as as you go sure and it's it's a brand new thing, and my opinion on the new d c u is that Trying to apply any of the old DC universe to the new one is like trying to apply the the Marvel universe to the new DC universe. It's a completely different thing, right? It's like Fair. it's a brand new thing. Go with it. But when I found out from this coworker of mine that that one of the things that they were saying is that the the author was starting to talk about like the, the new red hood and where it was coming from. And they said that a lot of the elements of the old red hood are going to be Im- incorporated. Like he, hmm. he was like in the new universe, he was Robin and he died and he, you know, he will and, have been was Robin and he took on the name red hood because that was the name that the Joker used originally before he was the Joker and hmm. blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Okay, now I'm a little worried because you're trying to incorporate a whole bunch of shit that the whole point of this reboot is to get get rid of some mm-hmm. of that and to kind of introduce characters that are new f- and like.
0: Are they doing any completely new characters, never before seen, or is it all just?
1: You know that I don't know. I, I haven't looked. I think it's all reboots of existing at the at the time for the time being, at least for their their core yeah. books. Um, so. I'm surprised that they're keeping it as high as 52 titles. Yeah, like, that it like seems like an awful lot of reboots. They've, all they've got, months, but you know they did the 52 event a while ago, and they they they're stuck on that number for some reason. But
0: deck of cards, I don't know.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. I'm I'm kind of indifferent toward it. Uh, I might actually pick up some of the books because one of the, uh, in my opinion, the DC universe has a bigger barrier to entry than the Marvel universe for the most part. Yeah, I see that. Um, I feel like there's more intertwining storylines and more crazy bullshit that has happened in that universe crazy than bullshit. in Marvel. Um well, both sp-
0: of them are pretty guilty of crazy bullshit, but yeah, DC has its own flavor. Yeah.
1: Um I think you I think the characters in in Marvel are e- are in my opinion for the most part more approachable. Um
0: I started reading like Daredevil completely non-sequentially and was fine with it.
1: When the DC universe, you get like Green Lantern, like is a shockingly
0: complicated? overly
1: complicated uh, world. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's an overcomplicated character, and he's like the fourth Green Lantern that that they've focused on. Right. You know, so
0: yeah, I hear what you're saying about barrier to approachability. I feel that way about Doctor Who sometimes.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I'm
0: like, there have been how many Doctors? What do I have to know? Is a Sonic screwdriver a drink? What? <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I've been, I've never watched any of the new Doctor Who stuff. I used to watch Little Bits and Pieces when I was a kid with my dad from mm. the, the stuff from the 70s, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I haven't come into the new one at all yet.
0: I would like to, mainly because <laughs> Neil gave wrote her an episode of it. <laughs> <laughs> Fangirl. <Yeah. laughs> but, you know, also for nerd purposes.
1: So, speaking of being a fangirl, uh, you were the one that suggested we uh, we do Sandman. Andy's not here. Let's Since. do Sandman. <laughs> so you don't have to listen to him whine <laughs> about it being too smart for him.
0: Uh, well, his main critiques of the series as a whole are that Neil Gaiman tends to be too wordy and take on too much as a writer and not let the art, art speak for itself enough. And I can see some aspects of that critique, um, in part because... maybe. Um, There are over the course of the 10 trade paperbacks of Sandman, there are different, um, different pencilers and different inkers and different artists. Uh And some of them, I honestly like vastly better than others. And the ones in this one, which is, I think it's mostly uh, Kelly Jones is Mm -hmm. the penciler for the most part. And um, Malcolm Jones, the third and Mike Drenenberg, which are in pretty much all of them. And they're okay. Yeah. They're not mind shattering or particularly amazing but they're okay i don't know Ah, uh, the other andy's only other critique of the series in general said he doesn't like angsty angsty immortal beings but you know what <laughs> what comic book doesn't have angsty immortal beings or angsty semi-immortal beings i mean really
1: seriously like you can find him in just about everything i'm pleasantly surprised by this book actually uh you're uh, a noob I am a noob, and you you suggested that we come into to trade back, trade paperback four, which is called Season of the Mists. Season of Mists. God yeah, damn. Yeah, you're going to do that like I, five times. I'm going to do it like five times, and you know what? Maybe I'll just keep doing it so that Andy, it'll make Andy's head explode right. when you listen to this episode. Wow. Well. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I haven't read much, much of Game & Stuff at all, to be entirely honest. I've never read American Gods. Um, I've read Stardust. Um, which I thought Stardust was okay and I'm probably going to get raked over the coals for this but I actually liked the movie significantly better than I liked the book. Never saw the movie um, but
0: I I'd, I'd hold up my judgment. Stardust is one of the more like very it's a more of a tale than a story, you know, he writes yeah. in a very mythic way.
1: It it's um the movie the reason I like the movie more um it's a, it's a little happier. Uh, the the book was was kind of whiny angsty like most of Gaiman's mm, stuff. You do. Um, and
0: the, and Nazi Boys is arguably the least whiny angsty of his books.
1: Yeah. Anyway, um, but the movie is is uh, it reminded me very much in feel uh, to The Princess Bride, and yeah, I could see that the way that the story was told and the way that the movie was told, like it. it it was just it was a really fun movie, and it's one of those movies that I could plop pop in and watch any time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have to get, give credit to Gaiman for at least some of that because it's it is his idea, and yeah. they deviated to a, to a degree from the movie, but it it didn't come across as as
0: wildly unauthentic, pretentious. Or okay, it, it, there you go.
1: Yeah, it was it was not wildly different from the comic book, and it, and it wasn't nearly as pretentious as the comic book mm. was. Or, and I, I can't really say comic book; it's more like an illustrated. Like, it's a story. It's, it's, some it's some a book with Charles some Bass. pictures, yeah. So, anyway, back to Sandman. Um, well, I guess we'll start by saying, why did you suggest this book for us? I mean, aside from the fact that Andy's not here and can't, uh, can't argue. Right.
0: Um, aside from that, I wanted to do something in Sandman, but I knew, like, a lot, of, a lot of what we've been doing is the first trade of whatever given series. And in the case of Sandman, it's not the right call to read the first trade. Um, not that it's bad, it's just that he's really kind of feeling out the series and okay. you can tell and it's again it's not bad it has a very like very deeply creepy solid opening storyline and he starts to really explore like death as a character um within the first trade but it doesn't deal much with the overall arc and i feel like uh, you know it goes from 1 to 10 and i feel like the middle block the 4 5 and 6 well yeah, i don't know about 6 but 4 and 5 anyway have very nice self-contained storylines that are very very solid and strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I also particularly like this one because I like the character Lucifer a lot. And this is his, his entry. And of course he is the same Lucifer that spawned the whole 11 trade paperback series by um, Mike Carey and Peter Gross of Tommy Taylor fame. Um, <laughs> but in this one, I feel like it's somewhat approachable because like in the beginning, there's this whole bit where they explicate every character Well, all the endless, anyway, and they're like, "Here's a big old honkin' character description." Yeah, like we're gonna, and there's a bunch of encounters with random characters that may or may not have made huge amounts of sense but none of them were so plot important that if you didn't know who hobgadling was like your head's not gonna explode
1: i never felt lost in this book um which was kind of nice being a noob like you said they they have those kind of character explanations and they tell me who all the endless are and who mm-hmm. i'm so i know who i'm looking at in any given time and of course um uh morpheus is the one that's the hardest to hardest to follow because he's not always the same form right right and they they frequently especially in the beginning parts like the first time he comes out of the painting he's the pirate he's like in the full pirate regalia and everything and mm-hmm. then and then he kind of changes like three or four times throughout that scene yeah so um the the way that luckily the way that they distinguish him is through his speech bubbles like you know speech bubbles are always that kind of wavery black with white black text on white. White on black, um yeah but
0: Yeah, and you can see, like, in the course of this trade, he changes physical appearance depending on who's looking at him and who's perceiving him. Like, right. whenever is right. talking to him, he looks like some kind of tribal African dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's yeah. how he appears to her. The text bubbles thing is pretty consistent throughout yeah, everything. Absolutely. Like, uh, a couple of the o- other Endless have their own deals. Delirium talks in rainbow bubbles. Lucifer talks in a very kind of gothic font. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I'm very pleased with the lettering in this book. I know that it's you know a lot of people uh, a lot of people take lettering in books for granted, and uh, so it's Sometimes though. it's really really important because I've I've gotten I've read plenty of books, and I even recently um, I read a book uh, that I reviewed for IGN called Samurai's Blood. The book is great, mm-hmm. right? It is it's a it's an excellent. Uh, it's an excellent story and I'm really, I'm really happy with it but the lettering is fucking terrible. Mm. Like, it changes size frequently for no, no actual like artistic reason. It just, like in some, they they felt like they needed to fit it into a smaller space so oh, they made man. it smaller, right? Or, um, and the, like the introductions to locations, uh, when, you know, the, yeah. the typical like five hours later type stuff yeah. is in a f- practically Sex. unreadable font, you know? Uh. I mean, it's like, Lettering is important, and I, I like the lettering in this book. I especially liked Delirium's yes. lettering. Um, there's one page that I was really, really, really happy with, and this and that is after, I, probably you know where I'm going, where after uh, Lucifer has given him the key to hell, mm-hmm. and they're going through all of the various different factions that are that are talking about wanting the key to, to hell, yeah. and they there's the one page that's split in half between order and chaos. Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, they have these kind of abstract representations of orders and order and chaos. But then they're, like, orders, uh, lettering is all kind of a computer text, right? Mm-hmm. And then chaos is literally just chaotic, just kind of all over the place. Bubbling the word, thoughts, bub- bubbling yeah. words. And the, the, the lettering is over. And this is especially, this is in an, in an era when people were still hand lettering books, right? Yeah. Like, this is not, you know, this is pre-super image when everybody, you know, when... A lot of digital lettering and and stuff. This is you know somebody's actually writing this, this shit by is hand all and Todd Klein. Yeah, and and he's doing, you know, he does some really good work and the mm-hmm. the f- the fonts are all very distinguishable and readable and, mm-hmm. and and sorry sorry to go off on my geek rant on lettering, but no, I was uh, it was no one worries. of the things this that impressed a, me about this particular book this was that key
0: book for that. So, you know where my original lettering fixation came from? Hmm. Pogo. Really? Yep. Because he uses different fonts for different characters, sort of in a pre-Calvin and Hobbes way. Um, okay. That kind of makes sense. That made me realize it was important when I was, like, you know, small and reading it at my grandmother's house. <laughs> I'll go back to one of the the reasons why I picked the book, Lucifer, as a character, who is a really, really brilliant character. Um, Lucifer, in general, as a fictional character, has gotten some, like, big-time portrayals, like um, Dante, Milton... And now, Neil Gaiman. One of the things I <laughs> really appreciate about Neil Gaiman is that he'll just, like, he's a punk ass. He'll be like, uh-huh. dear Thor universe, I'm going to subsume <laughs> you know, Yeah. Uh, by saying that you're just like a little alternate pretend Ragnarok that, uh, you yeah. know, that the real Odin made up for, for shits and giggles. Or, you know, dear Lucifer character, I'm going to do crazy, wacky things with you and have you <laughs> quoting Milton, yeah. who's writing about you. <laughs> As you mentioned earlier, I think the the beautiful brilliance of, of Lucifer as a character is that instead of taking revenge on Dream, he just oh yeah, he just fucks him. He's like, okay, here's the key to hell. Yeah, empty.
1: you know that's that that was probably my favorite part of the book, and it's and it's odd because like um, when you start reading, you walk into this if you walk into this book with the your standard kind of opinions of how comic books should be run and the way that story stories go, um, you kind of expect a battle, right? You, you walk in and you know, you know, dream is going through all this crap and he's going to end up, uh, end up going into hell and they're going to get into this big fucking, you know, WWE throwdown. Right. And, um, you, you, especially when it's set up at the very beginning, when, when Lucifer is talking to one of his retainers and you get this kind of very like, oh fuck kind of vibe mm-hmm. out of it. Like, oh, he's coming. Is he, you know? Well, and then when he shows up and Lucifer's just kind of like, yeah, I quit. I'm a, I'm leaving by the way. Oh, and you know what? <laughs> Here's the key to hell. Have fun with that.
0: It's going to go start a nightclub by the way. <laughs> Literally. It's called the Lux.
1: Nice. And, and, and that was one of the parts, one of the turns in the book. It was it was unexpected, at least for somebody like me who hasn't read Gaiman before and mm-hmm. hasn't read this before. Um, it was an unexpected turn where you're like, oh. You can quit? <laughs> yeah. Not only could he quit, but then you're like, you start getting some of the implications of what has happened, right? Mm-hmm he's kicked everybody out of hell, demons and souls alike Damned, um, have returned. you 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 have a kind of in your brain you're like oh god what what is that what does that mean do you know now? where do they go now what's going to happen and and then you also realize like you know he wanted to do something terrible to to dream mm-hmm. for for the thing for transgressions of the past. And you're you're trying to think before. Well, what's that going to mean, right? Like, Writing when is, eternal? They're... How
0: more terrible can you get? The hell,
1: exactly. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, oh that's oh, what, that's can what you can do. All right, <laughs> all right. And I, I really enjoyed that little twist. Um, I'm not sure i I'm not entirely sure that I enjoyed everything that came after it. It was it wasn't bad. One of the one of my problems with the book, and we'll we we'll, I guess we'll go into it now and we can discuss it a little bit. One of my problems with the book is that I, f- I really kind of felt like it was a lot of build up for a kind of a cheap payoff.
0: His conversation with Nada was not like that earth earth shaking WWE snack, smackdown you expect. No,
1: actually I'm uh, that too. Like there's wow. there's two things that I'm saying. Like the the conversation with Nada I'm fi- I'm kind of fine with because it's not it's fairly short Into the book you realize that that's not really the focus of the story you know
0: control of hell what what
1: what bothered me was that there was you know seven issues or six issues well i guess the first issue is the setup and then there's like four issues of uh the the people who want the key to hell Mm -hmm. gathering at what's his fucking castle's name like, Not the Dreaming. Um, anyway, the Dreaming. Gathering at the Dreaming to present their case for why they should be given the key to hell. And it goes, all this stuff and all these things are gathering and all this, all these things are happening. And he's having these private meetings and it's blah, 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 blah. And then the angels are like, no, you got to give it to us. And he's like, okay. And he just hands it over. I kind of understand gotcha. it, but it, it felt like um, it... I don't know. There, there was something unsatisfying about it. That's fair. I you think know? as much
0: as the dramatic moment wasn't wasn't very strong at that point, I do really like the angels. I um, do too. I, I actually really about. like
1: their like that. The concept of that is was actually really cool, and I enjoyed it. But um,
0: especially, it seems like they deal with it in very different ways. Like the one that actually volunteered the angel of silence. It seems like he's more understanding of the idea that the person who's in charge of hell is suffering the most in all of hell. Yes. um, Which resonates with, you know, Dante and everything else written about hell and Remiel, the other, the other angel is very glib and naive. I feel at this point by deciding that he can, he can turn this into a good thing to be fair. uh, In Dante, Dante's purgatory, um, terrible things are happening, but it's all run by angels. Yeah. It's like angels are sewing people's eyes shut with rusty wire. Yeah. And, you know, it's good for you.
1: Yeah. I liked that little turn when, when Remiel realizes what's going on, mm-hmm. when he gets the word of God and God tells him, this is what you're doing. Right. And like, he kind of, you watch this like two page thing where he, he, he kind of goes through this, denial speech, right? And mm-hmm. he's, he starts going on and on about how the hell is for the evil. It's not for, not for angels. And, mm-hmm. and I, what did I do to deserve this kind of crap? And then he's like, I, you know, it was, it was remanded to the custody of, of, of somebody who rebelled against God. And then as he, Main t- continues in his speech, I he's, I like, to deserve this? he's like, he's like, what did well, I do to deserve this? And you and man. you know what? Fuck this! I'm going to rebel like Lucifer did. And then i right. and I was like, oh, that's awesome! You're pretty much a uh, you know, you're Wait pretty a- much
0: write yourself right into the script there. Acing your
1: uh, acing your interview right there. That's uh-huh. good job. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like I that part of it. Like it's it's weird because um, I think one of the things about this book that that caught me off guard is that that it doesn't have even though it's a self-contained arc. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really have a. It doesn't have much of a climax. Not it's. A it's, it's a huge very. One, no. It's a very kind of a flat progression through the story where you you're, You know things just kind of happen. It's not like you're building towards something yeah. so much. It's. Um and maybe maybe upon second reading I I'll, I'll be able to approach it better and not think that I'm building towards some grand climax. Well and I think but it'll make more sense if you read it in
0: context of the overarching story, because it definitely serves as sort of a building up point for the bigger arc of the story. Yeah. Um, even if it's self-contained within its own little story arc.
1: Well, I'm I'm actually glad that you suggested this one because, because of the fact that it is, it has all the stuff about Lucifer and I had just bought the the first trade of Lucifer to read. So I will go, I'll go read that and, um, you know, be able to know where the the character started. Um, I was I was very happy. I, I mean, I've seen some of these characters before. Clearly, I mean, mm-hmm. when I was reading comics in the '90s, I was definitely very. You know, I was a kid and I was I was into goofy superhero crap. So like you, you know, I was into Spawn. That was my thing. And Neil claim wrote for like, Spawn for a while. He did.
0: Yeah, no, he got into some big ol. Honkin um legal battle with todd mcfarlane over the character angela
1: oh that's right angela was gaming wasn't it yeah because i remember the that's right because that was when spawn had a bunch of like a series of like four or five issues with guest writers yeah and like frank miller was one of them and jeff smith did or not oh. not jeff smith um <laughs> Really? I I always get Cerberus and Bone mixed up, but the guy the guy who wrote Cerberus, Cerca. uh okay. whatever his name is, I did one know. and Gaiman did one and and Angela and he introduced Angela, I remember right. that. So Okay. Well then there's something by Gaiman that I've read. Dang. <laughs> no,
0: I know he's written some kind of like more superhero, more poppy random things that mm-hmm. I just haven't found. But <laughs> I don't know, I think this is really his, in terms of comics, this is his, his masterwork.
1: Since you suggested this book, I mean, I know partial part of the reason why you suggested this one is because it's a good kind of introduction for new readers. Yes. But what, what is it, like, what is it about this book that that really, like, stands out to you? Because you've talked a lot about how much you like Gaiman and his work and, and Sandman in particular, and, and I'm kind of curious to find out, like, the parts of this that are that really stand out to you?
0: I think the parts that um the like you get a sense of the generalized uh creepiness that Neil Gaiman is capable of. And it's not really creepiness. It's not like explicit horror, but it's more like the levels of psychological weird and um sort of these Like maybe this is why he bothers Andy because in some way he's very literary and that not all the stories are resolved and not all the characters have a resolution. Some of them just kind of resonate like like, for example, the dude they meet in hell who's like refuses to leave he's oh, like yeah, yeah. what's his know, name Breshow. I am Breshow. I've done all these terrible things uh you know
1: I really liked that guy right. and, I, and I liked the way that Lucifer handled it he's like he's like no hey, one dude. gives
0: a flying rat's ass get <laughs> yeah. out of here no one remembers you even <laughs> yeah I know
1: I love that he's, <laughs> like, he's like it's been 1100 years and nobody even knows your name so clearly you couldn't have done that much bad <laughs>
0: right um and I like all the stuff that he does that's like that. I also... And this isn't... This this I chose because it's something that you could read without having read anything else. But it's not necessarily my favorite of the Sandman. Um, number seven is probably my favorite. And that it has a lot of delirium in it. And she's my favorite okay. character. Uh, because, I don't know. I like the different, the different worlds that he creates. Um, and I like as much as Andy doesn't, I like the interplay between all of the very mythic characters because yeah. they have a really fascinating family dynamic.
1: I'm a fan of the way he writes delirium. Yeah. Because especially little things like, uh, you should have seen what I did to this guy. He right. kept trying to touch me and I didn't want, or he kept trying to hug me and I didn't want to be touched. So I just made him see colors, we're pretty colors, but they though. were very pretty colors. <laughs> like right. it's like, it's really cool to, you know, it's one of, it reminded me a lot, um, I've always liked when they, when they kind of, um, they take these concepts and, and infuse them into characters. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what the word for that is. It's like personification. Ah, thank you. Uh-huh. Um,
0: allegory perhaps. And
1: I like his personifications of these particular things. And that's, and one of the reasons why it kind of resonates with me is that I, one of my favorite book series is the incarnations of immortality. Oh yeah, sure. Pierce, and, uh, is that Pierce Anthony? it's Pierce Anthony. Yeah. Okay. Um, who is capable of of amazing, amazing sci-fi and some of the f- fucking worst bullshit that has ever been put on the page? <laughs> <It's true. laughs> like this feels a lot like the incarnations of immortality in yeah. a, in a way, you I know. Can see and, that. They, and they, um, like the way he personifies fate, the the three mm. the gray ladies, and that's yeah. only one particular aspect that that fate um manifests you know and stuff like that so it was it was really cool like uh i don't i think
0: i like his stuff in part because it takes some very heady mythic stuff and just like plops it down very superhero style like uh-huh. here's a random character in the universe you're meeting it's fate hey yeah.
1: and like destiny with his book mm-hmm. you know and he just kind of moves m- moves without walking really and, and floats around his garden and
0: yeah stuff
1: and and i i like one of the thing that's one of the things I like i'm touching on little things in the personifications that i like but one of the things i liked about destiny was the part where he like he has this interaction with um with the gray ladies mm-hmm. and then afterward it's funny cause he, it's like, he's got, he's got a leg up on everybody else who's right. stuck in destiny because he's got the book. Right. So he's like, I didn't, head. I didn't understand what the fuck this thing meant. So I opened up my book and I read about it and it told me a little bit more about what was going on. Right. And I was like, that was, that's actually really cool. <laughs> a
0: reflection. But you know, it's the same thing. I feel like that would be so mutable. Like the way, like he is an observer how is he interpreting the text? Yeah. I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> and there were, you know, there were other characters that didn't really get much, uh, much play, but I did like, I did like some of the, the way desire. Yeah. Was just kind of like this flighty bitch, you know, desire <laughs> it was just is like, a fucker. you know, uh, like uh, talking about how, you know, it's, it's interesting to to think that the fact that they can actually affect each other, yeah, you know, and that's, they kind of have that that dynamic where they each have power over each other but they don't really you know they use it more as a like like desire uses her power over her siblings as a threat more than anything else and And,
0: it's a weird family dynamic and in destiny too kind of is like oh well i'm the oldest and i'm gonna be all (laughs) yeah gaunt and mysterious and shit (laughs) um but at the same time in various bits of the series that that whole like extreme mythic power as a family dynamic thing comes up uh, there's some great stuff with delirium just like taking destiny to task and being like there's stuff that is not written in your book yeah
1: <laughs> i know it <laughs> <laughs> i i am pleasantly surprised and the one thing that i will say uh to to kind of as a counterpoint to the things that andy has said about this book i'm sorry i've, I've read through this and it's not a, it's not too smart for me that's and it's that's not... refreshing to hear
0: <laughs> I feel like the thing is if you want to it's kind of like Tommy Taylor but not as as some totally pretentious um because if you want to read in all of the mythic, you know, stuff and all of the baggage that comes with using characters like death right. um you can, but if you don't want to and you're like, "Hey, this is just sort of a new awesome cadre of superhero-like entities," you can do that too.
1: In order to Pull all of that extra baggage into the storyline. You really have to try to pull all that extra baggage because I feel I feel like Gaiman pulls these characters in and and hands them to you at face value. He doesn't he you no know, he doesn't there's not a lot of mystery to their existence. There's, there's mystery to their characters. If, right. if I'm, if I'm not making any fucking sense whatsoever, but like, um, as, as a character in a book, there, there are unknowns and things that you, you can speculate about with these, but there's not like the world and the mythology that he's built. is very solid. It's very solid and straightforward. Yeah. He uses a lot of, as i told before the show that he's a lot of flowery language which uh, you know seems appropriate for for some of the characters and it's his style but the storyline in this was very very straightforward to be entirely honest it was it was i don't think
0: it's that complicated honestly
1: no this this one was not that complicated like he but
0: actually andy said if there's anyone that we should do for the thing it's number five which you should go read because it's fantastic um which i think is he says that because it's like this in terms of it is a complete closed storyline, but it has a little bit of a stronger dramatic arc. Okay, whereas this one's kind of like a a soft it's kind wave of, a light, of yeah, deathy hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> the number five is like a, a short slide down a down a <laughs> shit covered <laughs> abyss. I don't know. It's it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I'll. Uh, I think this is. Gotten me interested in reading more of Sandman. Um, I never was interested before. But like I said, I mean, the the storyline in this one is, is he goes to hell to pull somebody out of hell. Lucifer, whom he thinks he has some beef with and who Lucifer has a beef with, decides that the best way to deal with that beef is to, you know, kill two birds with one stone where he quits because he's fucking sick of being the lord of hell
0: one could imagine yeah
1: and and at the same time he's right like oh this is cool awesome sometimes. this is a perfect op- <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. this is a perfect opportunity to hand him the key to an empty hell and see how he deals with all the shit the shit storm mm-hmm. that comes after him because of it mm-hmm. you know to be entirely honest yeah. it didn't feel as angsty as people like kind of make it out to be either no. Um, um, it deals
0: with a lot of death and a lot of dead people and a lot of demons and subjects like that. But at the same time, if you look at the little mini story that's uh, five or whatever with the kid yeah, at the boarding yeah, yeah. school, like that's actually a really redemptive story. As yeah. much as you know, he's killed by damned ghosts in an attic. Um, aside from that, it ends
1: <laughs> quite well. Yeah, it ends pretty well. It's 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 kind of a weird. It, it isn't what people would think of as a typical happy ending, especially after the line where the kid, the one ghost is like, um, what, what do your dad think about you being dead? And the kid's like, uh, he'll probably be relieved. He wasn't much of a parent anyway. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. built out. And I'm like, Oh, um, I'm not, it's, should I be happy about that? Or <laughs> I was like, really not sure. That was an interesting and kind of a cool little interlude too, mm-hmm. because it did give you, some insight into what was what Lucifer loosing everything out of hell meant you know and some of the little things that could be affected right he could have taken a much more heavy-handed look at you know the the, the undead legions returning. Yeah. returning to earth and instead he chose to to focus on kind of this smaller story yeah. and some and kid
0: in his holidays at a boarding school. Yeah, and it
1: was uh it was I thought it was pretty cool. I
0: think that's pretty indicative of Sandman's flavor overall. Just there is the occasional smaller story that's interjected in it. It usually is more like it's more like a literary short story, really. It's like it's a vignette that gives you you know, usually it's a one issue worth of vignette that gives you some flavor or concept that he's trying to trying to get through. And like different parts of this series are have different flavors like i'd say the the first trade has a lot more a lot more flat out horror there's a very morbid uh side story where they ends up going to a uh one of the characters ends up going to a serial quote it's spelled like the food but it's really a serial killer um conference interesting there's other just like tangents like that that i think are important for the overall um feeling that you know like this is a book that's about dream and there Uh is a certain dream like feeling um to a lot of the side stories it's like you're going into this smaller world it's not going to necessarily make sense but you're going to get a good story out of it and then leave
1: i i enjoy it and i would recommend it as long as you don't mind you know you don't mind a little pretension in your comic book uh
0: I, I don't know, I almost vaguely, it's not, I don't know. Yes, it's kind of pretension, but at the same time, it's just, you can draw literary connections if you want to, and it's yeah. mythic.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he writes he writes the way he needs to write to tell the story he wants to tell. Right. And that, he doesn't, he doesn't, that's the thing that, like, pretension to me always feels like you're you're loading in extra garbage to make the reader think of how awesome of a writer you are, even though it might not necessarily be Part of the tale that you want to tell or, right. or fit very well, and none of the stuff that he throws in seems really out of place. Mm. You know,
0: <laughs> the one thing that in this entire series he's ever thrown in that has seemed really out of place is in the first trade he tries. There were a couple issues where he tried to do a crossover with some DC character.
1: Oh, really? And it was
0: awkward <laughs> as hell.
1: Yeah. That was probably DC telling him he had to include something, yeah. though. But... I don't know.
0: He he wrote about it, and he was like, this is a thing I tried out, and it turned out really poorly, so I didn't touch it ever again. Yeah. I would say, if you haven't read this yet, it's absolutely classic. And if you're made out of money, it's worth owning. If not, this is actually one of the series that you can somewhat consistently find at the library because it's been around for that long. And usually your local, you know, borders. Barnes and Noble, whatever, will actually have this entire series because it is it is that classic. And I think in the world of comics it's it's kind of it's like it's like kale. It's essential reading and it's filled with vitamins and <laughs> not everyone
1: likes it. That was the thing that I, I found um like with some of the other books that we've we've done, especially like Last Last Days of American Crime, um, it it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to find. But this, like, I was amazed I called I called my comic shop, which is across the water from us, and I was like, do you have uh, volume four? He's like, yeah, we got it. And then I was like, oh, cool. And then I called a, a closer comic shop, which is down uh, down in Redmond, uh, farther away, and I was like, do you have this? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got that. And then yep. I, I was like, screw it. And I drove, there's a comic shop about five blocks from where I work, six blocks from where I work, and I was like, I decided... I'll just go over and check sure. Dragon's Lair, which is the one in in Bellevue by where I work, and sure enough, they they had it sitting they had two copies of it sitting on the shelf. So I'm right? like, okay, this seems pretty pretty prolific. Like it's it's Sandman, it's I everywhere. guess, is everywhere and because of its popularity, which is cool. You can get this in the normal trade form, which is probably the easiest. Yep. They're the soft cover trades are available everywhere. Their 1999 cover. You can also get them uh, there aren't normal hardcover collections as f- so as, as far as I've been able to find. There are the absolute versions. Mm-hmm. Um but as with all the absolutes, they're pretty expensive. Um they're seventy five bucks a pop on Amazon. they 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 retail for ninety nine ninety nine. Admittedly they are they're oversized, they're hardcover, they're slip cased and they're in really they've got really nice uh colors and everything, but um
0: Yeah, I should be the person that's saying yes, go spend all your money on the absolute editions, but I'm Miss means to an end when it comes to <laughs> comic books, and just to get the trade paper back. Yeah, I think this was the first series that I collected all of it, and for good reason. <laughs>
1: All right. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we left and went into like the closing and the contest and all that stuff? Is there anything else you want to bring up? I don't think so. No, I think we're good with our good. with our little chat.
0: Yeah. We a bit of a nutter. Oh,
1: hmm. So uh, the contest was was excellent. We finally found a winner in episode six. All right, it uh, was great. Uh, so we're starting a new contest. It's going to be the same same idea, but go ahead and uh, enter anyway. It is. Uh, Going to be for two shows from now, we are going to do Terry Moore's Echo. Uh, The next show we're going to do is about Desolation Jones, and then we're going to do Terry Moore's Echo. So we are running a contest for a free copy of Terry Moore's Echo, the first trade paperback. Entering is simple. Just email us your name and address with the book title in the subject line, and which is Terry Moore's Echo, or you can just say Echo uh, in the subject line. We have to get ten entrants, or we won't run the contest. And send us your address, or we won't uh, we send won't you send, you the, books. send you the book. And what email address
0: um, are we emailing that to? Though? We're
1: emailing it to uh, trade secrets at geekerific uh, dot Just tr- that simple. It's just that simple. I know that we got one entry for our last contest from uh, from a, a listener in the UK. Again. Um, I'm hoping, so here's the thing. I have not tried to ship something to the UK from Amazon uh, before, so I don't know how that exactly is going to work. It shouldn't, we'll I, make it work. I'm hoping it's not going to cause too many problems, but um, if 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 you happen to win, uh, then, then it might take a little longer for us to get you your stuff, but we'll try and get you your stuff.
0: Yeah, two weeks might be a little unrealistic for that but yeah.
1: yeah so um entries for this contest for for a copy of echo number one uh the deadline is tuesday june 21st so make sure you have your entries in by then we have to get 10 entrants or we won't run the contest if you're listening um, to
0: this right now good lord just send, send, us, send us your an email. name and address yeah just send if us we an want to know you exist
1: if you're un- so here's the way I think about too. I, somebody brought up the point that it might be uh, people might be uncomfortable sending us their address. But then I thought to myself, well, you know what? If you win the contest, you're going to have to send us your address anyway. Yep. So this just makes it easier on everybody because that way we can send you the book out before we announce the winner and we can get you know, everything taken it care of. It so. ain't like
0: we're going to stalk you or send you spam.
1: Yeah. No kidding. We don't
0: have that much time.
1: So again, the the email address is trade secrets at geekerific.com. Send us a, an email and win a copy of Echo Number One. Woo. The next show again is is one of Joel's suggestions. It's uh, Desolation Jones. It's a comic book I've never read, um, so Me it'll be I'm excited. It'll be nice to you know to get into that. Rate us on iTunes. Helps us out a lot. You can rate us. You can review us. Uh, go take a minute to actually rate us on iTunes if you're listening to this on an iDevice. Even if you're not listening to this on an iDevice, go to iTunes and fire a rating up there and a review for us. We are still not on the Zoom network. I've been trying for weeks to get us up there. It just takes it just takes persistence.
0: I'm not convinced the Zoom network exists.
1: Yeah, it's 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 ephemeral okay so uh follow us on twitter the main show feed is at after the fact pod i'm at geek elite and is at Ann Bean tweets um and for completeness' sake uh andy is at mathtastrophe and joel is at joel hates tweets no he's not he's and, at superfly uh Oh my god! That's his old one that we were yelling about earlier. Yes, it said right. Superfly. S O O P E R P H L Y. Um, the cat you've heard in the bath in the background is at. That's the exact spelling. Exactly. Um, you can like our Facebook page: facebook.com slash slash Trade Secrets Podcast. Follow us on Tumblr, TradeSecretsPodcast Podcast at Tumblr.com if you have a Tumblr account. Um, we both basically just mirror the show announcements that we put on the site on a yep. Tumblr site. So uh, you can join the forums. The forums are are not so lively, but uh, we're hoping to get more people on there to to actually, you know, make them make talk them about comics. talk about comics, talk about the show. Um again
0: about Sandman. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Exactly.
1: Uh, if you want to be a part of the show, we will read questions and uh, comments and anything that you send us via any of those portals that we've just named. You can you can at reply us on Twitter. You can post to our Facebook page. You can comment on our Tumblr posts. Um, or, as mentioned earlier, you can email us at secrets at com And be a part of the show. We will read pretty much any question you send us. So send us in some questions or comments. Or if you want to bullshit about comic books, do so. So... Did you have anything else you wanted to cover before we uh, we bail on Sandman?
0: I think I'm good.
1: Awesome. This has been episode seven of the Trade Secrets Podcast, and we're out.